Hello and welcome to Pod on the Dog, episode eight. I'm Verity Hardcastle. You can find me at Verity Hardcastle on Instagram to follow all the latest shenanigans in Dogdom. So joining me this week is a man well known for his chat at grooming shows. He is a resident MC. He's also a creative grooming educational expert, but he's a really talented stage actor and he's even performed on Broadway co-founder of the Groomer Spotlight and one of the kindest people I know in the industry. Welcome, Stuart Simon. Hiya. Thanks for having me. What a lovely intro. Oh, my pleasure. You deserve it. So thanks so much for joining me. You're very welcome. (laughs) So what's your tipple of choice for this podcast record? I've got a nice coffee. I like a coffee, a flat white. Yeah, delish. Carlo cup. And you, can, you can't see it because it's a podcast, Stuart. Calm down. It's just a cup with a lovely picture of that amazing artist, Frida Carlo, which I love. And it's just a regular coffee. The Azira type. You know, you can get instant mm-hmm. Azira. Yeah, the posh instant. My favourite. Yeah, that's nice. Money I love Frida. house for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love Frida Carlo as well. I actually found um, a really good website the other day that had loads of Frida Kahlo they had a Frida Kahlo like pen pot and it was really quirky and cool and I was thinking oh these are going to make really good presents for my girlfriends you know just to wrap up oh I love it it's so cool I mean there's I went to um the South Bank once and I went to the uh, Tate Gallery and there was a big Frida Kahlo exhibition on and it was uh, amazing so I've always been a bit since then I've been a bit obsessed with her Oh, fab. Now I've got some birthday ideas for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a cup of tea. Really needed it. Yorkshire tea, obviously. Nothing I like else. Yorkshire tea. Actually, Yorkshire, I'm from the Sussex. The Sussex. I'm from Sussex, so right down south. Uh, and I like Yorkshire tea. So, so you should. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah, it's my favorite. So my mum my made it for me was I was frantically finishing off my notes for this podcast record. Bless her. <laughs> oh, good old mum. Yes. Not so. Old. No, no, no. She might listen. Quick pooch perfect chat to start off with, Stuart, because obviously me and you have known each other for quite a long time. We knew each other before the BBC show aired, but we were flung together for a whole month. I was one of the judges on the show, but Stuart, who you may not have seen, did so much work behind the scenes. He was propping up and holding together all the groomers, as well as helping to create those fantastic challenges that we saw. So looking back now that the dust has settled, how is the experience for you? Do you know, I loved it. It was much more than, I think it was more than they anticipated me to do and more than I anticipated me doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a real learning curve and it was really nice to be able to teach a group of people that had no idea about grooming what it's invo- what's involved in our profession and how in-depth we have to go and what we have to look out for. It was, a really, it was really lovely to highlight the bits that they just thought was playing with dogs all day, which we see in social media all the time. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, it was quite nice to see the shock and the, <laughs> and the amount of work that has to go into grooming. And they realised once they really scratched the surface quite how much we were going to have to prepare for it. So, yeah, it was, it was great. I loved it. It was a really lovely company, really great production team that were really willing to listen and very sort of amiable yeah I think we were really lucky with the angle they were wanting to go at to make it not just creative we were doing breed standard we're doing a lot of education as well yeah I know we were keen for weren't we we really were and the whole point of my involvement really is because I can't put my oil up 
I don't like to put my name to things that don't have education behind it and don't do things, don't highlight our industry in the best way possible because I'm all for professionalism, as you know. So for me, it was if you don't do it that way, I can't be involved. (laughs) And so it was really, really important that they did adhere to those standards and they absolutely did. There was no question about it. No, but you were the right man for the job. You were, you were, you know, you're friendly, but you're also willing to put your foot down when you weren't happy about something. Absolutely. That's that's me to a T. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go back to the beginning, Stuart. Who was your first dog and what was your earliest dog memory? Oh, so when I grew up, I, had a dog called Hoagie and so I was only little and it was a greyhound crossed with a German shepherd and I don't really remember to be honest I don't honestly remember I've seen photos of me with him but apparently I was with him an awful lot you know I used to follow him everywhere Mm. and actually it's a really terribly sad story but um, we moved into a house obviously my mum and dad were young and they had two young children and Hoagie and it was you know the chain link fences that you get in new builds yeah so we had one of those and there was a hole in an area of it and Hoagie, me and Hoagie were out the back playing one day and he jumped over the fence and I went through the hole chasing him and he got run over by a car <gasps> and killed in front of me. I So I saw this happen oh, no. and um, obviously I was so young I di- didn't really understand what had happened. Oh, but my obviously goodness. I saw it. And the next day I woke up and I couldn't walk. And obviously I was too young to be able to oh process it. And for about six months, I was in hospital with having traction and they thought I had polio. And it was all because I'd seen Hoagie get run over. My my body couldn't take it. And I was oh absolutely gosh, in complete is, shock. I've got goosebumps. That's crazy. Isn't that mad? I know. And it's weird because my, my mum and dad now, well, not my dad, because unfortunately my dad died, but my mum now is like, well, you know, it was so ridiculous because you're. All, I'm. All, I am really sensitive, and I know you are as well, Beres. Yeah. I, oh, don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's in you, you're. If you're sensitive, you're sensitive. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my mum says to me, you know, only you could spend six months in hospital and <laughs> just suddenly get up, <laughs> get up one day, and you know, do the can can across the. What's <laughs> a drama queen? Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's what happened. So that's my first memory of Hoagie. But I've always had dogs growing up. So he, and he was obviously very special to me from a really young age because I was only 100%. little. That must have just been, you know, how your body tried to deal with the trauma. Yeah, yeah. It just shut it out and shut, shut it shut down. Wow, that is. I've never heard that before, Stuart. That's incredible. Very sad, but yeah, amazing. So your path into grooming was actually a really unusual one. This is a story I absolutely love. So tell me how you went from acting to grooming. Well, alongside each other. Yeah. And, so, uh, because obviously, I know you obviously we spoke about you being an actor. And, and why did you choose grooming as well? Well, because I think I chose grooming because I always have loved dogs. And I've got some family in the States. And I used to go over once a year with my mum and visit my auntie. And in America, there was a groomers on every on the corner of every street on every, oh, right. you know, it's really, really popular out there. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, God, what a fabulous little job to do in between acting jobs. Because as an actor, mm. you're not always constantly in work. You're always scrabbling and scratching to find little scraps of anything that you could possibly do. So you have to have a, what we call a muggle job. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. and so I was thinking well you know I love dogs as much as I love performing so I wonder if I could 
find a way to get into work working with dogs at the same time. And we just got a little Bichon Shih Tzu called Maggie, and we caught, we called someone up to come around and groom her, and they literally shaved her within an inch of her life. <laughs> Didn't yeah. give her a bath or anything, just clipped her all off. I mean, she looked horrendous. Uh, I made the woman a cup of tea, gave her a biscuit, give her 40 quid, and off she trotted. And I was like, what a fabulous little... <laughs> Well, a fabulous job just playing with dogs all day, <laughs> which is obviously yes, yeah, full circle. <laughs> exactly. So I looked into it and um, I thought to myself, well, obviously I need to do it the proper way. And I used to cycle to into the West End because I used to work in a, a box office as a model mm-hmm. job in between acting jobs at the Adelphi where Chicago was on. Yeah, I used to cycle in, cycle back, and then I I was working in the box office one day and I'd. I'd applied to play this game on the radio called the London Eye Test, which was hosted by Johnny, Johnny, uh, what was his name? Johnny, can't remember his surname. Johnny oh, and... Oh, I know who you mean. Vaughan, Johnny Vaughan. And yeah, Johnny, that was Johnny, it. Um, what's her Van surname? Van it was hosted by Denise Van Outen and Johnny Vaughan and it was called the London Eye Test and you had to register to play and it had been going on for years and I used to cycle to work and I'd have my earbuds in and I'd be listening to the radio on the way to work mm-hmm. and no one was winning it and it was going it went from 250,000 and every time someone got it wrong it dropped a thousand pounds and all it was was three people saying the word I so it just went I I I and that was it and you had to <gasps> get that's work. hard yeah okay Anyway, one day I was sitting in the box office and I got a phone call and they said, do you want to play the London Eye Test at, at three o'clock? You're through to play. And I'd forgotten that I'd entered it because it was so long ago. And I was like, well, yeah, whatever. It, so many names have been guessed, like thousands and thousands. Two How had, do you go back and know who who been I mean, yeah, exactly. who's not? Two had already been chosen, got, and there was one left. And mm. I knew that if I got that one, I'd win the, the jackpot. <laughs> so I sat there and you, they give you 15 minutes so I could look online and see who's been said and who hasn't. And I just, I mean, there were so many names I couldn't scroll through them. So I just sat, I remember sitting in my office going, right, what, who can I say? Who does it sound like? And I thought, right, it sounds like Joanna Lumley. So I looked at the guest and I was the list and I was like, who, and she'd been said. And then I was like, well, maybe it's Dawn French. Mm. Looked down the list. She'd been said. Yeah. I was like, well, what about Jennifer Saunders? So I looked down the list and she hadn't been said. And I was <gasps> like, well, I'm just going to say her because at least I've found one that hasn't been said. She's not on the yes. list. You're not going to go, oh, it's been said. There's nothing worse than that. And so they phoned me and they were like, hi, Stuart, you're through to play the London Eye Test. What? You know, um, they asked you a few questions and they said, right, Stu, what's your guess? And I said, Jennifer Saunders. Mm-hmm. And it just went silent. There was this clock ticking. It went silent. Oh, my goodness. Tick, 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 tick. And then yeah, yeah, suddenly yeah. this voice went, you won 66,000 pounds. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I was like, as an actor, I've never had any money. Like, we were all like, always on the Yes, project. yeah, yeah. I've got lots of debt at this point. Living in London, like, having to cycle because I can't afford the tube. Do you know what I mean? I mm-hmm. was suddenly like, this is amazing. And so obviously I got everyone from the box office. We went out drinking. It was really exciting. I put it all on my credit card. And yeah. then one month passed and nothing happened. And oh, then another really? month passed and nothing happened. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a scam. And I've just built up even more debt. But actually, weirdly, out of the blue, I got a phone call. They said, come into the Capitol Studios. And I met Johnny and Denise. And they presented me the cheque. <laughs> so that's how I... 
and so I used that. That's how you got the capital, wasn't it? To... Yeah. So I, I used that money to go and train and do my full level three diploma in dog grooming. Uh-huh. But I also used it to set up my first salon and hired a groomer to come into my salon so that because we both know that when you first start you might have the qualification but you need to get skills you need to get like some experience because you can't be exposed to every single breed there's 220 odd breeds yeah you can't be exposed to all that at once and in London there's a real variety of breeds so Mm -hmm. hire this groomer she was really experienced you know she was great she basically taught me everything in between well after I'd finished my training because I trained Colin and, and Heidi and then after that I was like I need to get some proper hands-on experience mm-hmm. so she really just helped me with commercially being viable and that's how it worked for me it's amazing amazing story of you know just <laughs> having that money just to be able to go and you know follow your dream really yeah I just really and, and also you really needed it because like you say being a jobbing actor's tricky Oh, I've never been able to do it in a million years. Like mm. it would have been far too hard. And I just, I've never even, you know, I'd never managed to save more than 500 pounds in my life yeah. <laughs> before that. So, <laughs> you know, I don't come from a wealthy family. It's always been, you know, credit cards and, and sort of breadline as far as I was. Yeah, working, working to live. Yeah. 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 And um, so nice that you use that money for something really, really good, like really productive rather than, well, you know, yeah, and I'm so proud of my qualifications. I'm proud of what we can achieve, and mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm I'm proud to have the knowledge because I found it so interesting that it made me really realise, you know, the strength of it and how how in our hands these pets have to be safe. So yeah. it started to, you know, I'm a bit of a nightmare when it comes to sort of grabbing onto something. I can't let it go unless I've really, like, really sort of put it through its paces. And that's sort of why I am like I am. I'm an advocate for safety, for education and for making <clears throat> sure that the pets that people trust us with are in the safest possible hands. But also, I think that really is testament to the fact that you love dogs and you love what you do, because I don't think that you would put your everything, your whole heart into something unless you truly, really love it. And that's the same why I'm so keen to learn and, you know, always try and strive to be the best, do all the exams I could possibly do, because obviously I think it's equally as important as you do. Um, We've always always had quite a good sort of parallel between our our, uh, professions, our, our sort of career path Mm, yeah absolutely now obviously talking about education you are the co-founder of groomer spotlight now this is a website that represents the fully qualified groomer and really makes us understand you know why is it so important that the industry becomes regulated and that these fully qualified groomers get the recognition that they deserve well grooming's not something that we can just pick up and put down without any kind of foundation and it's something that I've really learned in the last 15 years since I've started Um, it's so many people think that it is and with the current climate as it is with people losing their jobs and it's always been the way especially in London where I am um, if people lose their jobs in the city they get a huge payout and so they you know there's I've seen people sitting outside my salon before taking notes about what we're doing or they book their dog in because mine's an open plan salon. They'll, they'll stay and watch what we do. And I just think, you know, it's great. You've got your payoff, you've got your redundancy money. And then around the corner, they suddenly open this all singing, all dancing dog grooming salon, which looks amazing. Yeah. But 
they don't know how to use, <laughs> use the equipment. So, and suddenly you find that they've clipped off the lovely, beautiful, silky cocker spaniel coat that you've been honing for 20 years because they're 10 pounds cheaper. And for me, it's about having um, uh, sort of our profession to be not monetized, but worth mm. something. Yeah. It's got to be, we're, we're, it's such a skilled industry. We need to understand that as skilled industry, we should be charging our worth. And that is why there needs to be a differential between an amateur groomer and a mm-hmm. professional groomer. Because it's not just about the haircuts, is it, Stu? I mean, you know as well as I do, it's not about the haircuts. It's about understanding skin. It's understanding coat types. You know, we're we're also sort of semi-behaviorists and trainers as well, aren't we? Yeah, and And, anatomy. anatomy. Yeah. Body to language, you know, the slight flick of the eye. There's a lot of veterinary nursing that we seem to do as well, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, that flick of the eye that you see, that we go, oh, we saw it. Some people don't see. Mm. And it's about being able to distinguish that flick of the eye or the... Yeah, time for a break. (laughs) The slight wag of the tail that stops you getting bitten. And I'm not saying by any means that there's not in there's not experienced unqualified grooms out there that are brilliant because there are there are amazing of course there is. Yeah. Unqualified. yeah I'm what I'm trying to advocate for is to for all those groomers to have a qualification that's accessible to them to be able to achieve it really easily which they would be able to do if they're you know experienced they could mm. easily achieve it and then we can absolutely uh separate these are the wheat from the chaff is that what they say we can say the wheat from the chaff yeah the wheat from the chaff we can yeah we can really uh highlight the people that can't do it safely well i think and then you know a minimum standard's been met absolutely and that's so what, they may be much better than that minimum standard but you know that that minimum standard's been met yeah they might be a terrible groomer they could be awful at doing a haircut but they've met a minimum standard for safety for health and well-being for that dog they've done the due diligence and you know there's solicitors out there that are bloody awful but they're still solicitors because they've gone through a due diligence if they if they haven't then they wouldn't be able to call themselves solicitors Mm -hmm. and I don't think that we are any more sort of a housewife stroke husband uh, industry we are we we command an awful lot of money and we should uh use that with with responsibly yeah it it should be we should be responsible with what we're doing and that's that's all it's about really it's just about upping the ante when it comes to our profession 100 percent and and then also when I think for customers that when they're looking for a dog groomer, it's a really good place to go as a spotlight because at least they know when they go on the groomer spotlight, they put in their area, they're going to have a groomer that has met that minimum standard. Yeah. So they know that their dogs, you know, in safe hands. And there are people on our website that members that have achieved higher than the level three diploma or the ICMG or the OCN or the IPET. There are people that have achieved like level fours and level fives. But we only say level three. If they want to advertise that they're even higher than that, they do that on their own profile because Mm -hmm. that way everyone's on the same level playing field. Yeah. So, for example, I know you've got your hires. Yeah. We wouldn't take a higher certificate as admission to the groomer spotlight. You, mm-hmm. it would just be your level three you can certificate. Just, yeah. And if you want to say that, you know, with I've got the, my hires, that would go on your profile because the profile acts then as a website, and everyone's on the same boat. So it means that people have to research their groomer. Yeah, it's a great idea because do you know what, Stu? Like, and you might find this as well. In all the years I've been grooming, 
I think only once have I been asked if I've got a qualification. Yeah, well, we, lots of people have said that to us as well. But I got asked last week. It's starting to... Oh, yeah, it's get traction. People are yeah, being, becoming actually, more aware. Yeah, because we spend an awful lot of money. All the money that we we receive for the groomer spotlight goes back into the groomer spotlight so mm. we're paying for seo which search engine optimization we're trying to get it out there the word out there it's really working because we get more than fifty thousand clicks to the website a month now yeah, and that's, that's amazing incredible mm, for the most yeah. part we're on the front page of google it's doing very well so you clearly adore dogs Stuart, and you love your job but what else makes your day so what else makes Stuart smile do you know what? I love dog. I love taking my dogs for a walk. That's mm-hmm. really, I, I love a sunny day in my garden. Um, I love a glass of wine. Yes. <laughs> That's probably, but I think the, the best thing for me is taking Ralph and my girls and, and Nelson, who's not been, not been very well recently, yeah. down the beach and just having a, you know, a coffee, sitting on the beach and watching them run after their balls. It's fab. I love it. Especially when we get some sunshine. Yeah, but even, <laughs> to be honest, even in the winter, when it's cold, I love doing that. Mm-hmm. I just love, I love going to the beach. I feel like it's really good for my sort of, I'm not saying mental health, but, you know, headspace. So just to give myself 10 minutes or half an hour just to go, okay, don't look at your computer for a while. Don't look at the telly. Just enjoy being in the moment with your dogs and your husband. And it's great. I love it. You're so lucky where you live, living by the seaside. I'm sat bang in the middle of the country. Yeah. I couldn't be I couldn't be further away any which way from the seaside. No, and I, I totally get that. Beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. So we've yeah. got obviously we've got the Yorkshire Dales, we've got national parks. Um, so beautiful for walking here. But uh, but I totally get it about the sea. Like when I go to the beach, I just feel myself exhaling. It's so weird, isn't it? And weirdly, yeah. when I went to drama school years ago, it was in Nottingham that I went. And obviously that's sort of right in the middle as well. And I found it really hard. I was living in like a loft room and of this house of these people I didn't know. And I just had a tiny little skylight and I could look out. And as I looked out, it was like something out of Oliver. I could just see. <laughs> yes, chimney pots. pots. <laughs> and I found it really hard because I've never had that. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, it's nice to have the green space, but I do think that, the the sea just I think it helps to bring some perspective as well you know you just realize how small and insignificant in a weird way yeah. you know all your troubles might actually be on the grand scale scale of things when you look out to that big ocean right definitely especially when the waves are crashing and it's really really strong it just blows it all away it's lovely yeah yeah so let's talk creative grooming stew this is uh, this is your forte <laughs> okay <laughs> What do you say to the naysayers, the folk that really just don't get that multicolored Maltese or the rainbow-tailed retriever? Uh, obviously, a lot of folks say it's cruel. Um, me and you know better, but what what would you say? I don't really say anything to them, really, because everyone's entitled to their own opinion, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And I feel like they they're right in some respects. They're right because our industry hasn't quite grasped <laughs> yet the difference between safe and unsafe yeah so uh so if it's my work they're looking at then it's safe then you know i'm i'm a huge as you you know we've just been saying i'm a huge advocate for animal welfare and safety Mm. the thing is with creative grooming is that it's required by many a media outlet so it might be a magazine it might be a tv show it might be i don't know a, a stage show it might be something um and they want 
some a dog cre- designed or groomed creatively and we're professional groomers so it's our responsibility to make sure that we understand and we know how to do it safely mm. yeah because there's a need for it and for me using a dog creatively for a media for a job is the same as using a dog for throwing you know going to retrieve a pheasant <laughs> it's still being used for work it's their work yeah, yeah. Okay. so, that, so it's yeah. Our, for our purpose mm-hmm. and with that comes a huge amount of responsibility we need to make sure that they're safe so for my for me it's about I would say it's absolutely fine not to like creative grooming however we can't ignore the fact that it's there it's out there and we need to make sure that when it's done, it's done safely. Sorry, my uh, stepdad just started to strim outside. <laughs> just shut the window. Um, and educationally, I've not died a dog before, Stuart. So obviously I'm a master groomer and I understand about a dog's skin composition, their hair structure. But I've got absolutely no idea how to dye a dog's coat. But as a pet professional, do I still need to do a special course? Like, how do I learn what's safe and and what's not? Well, there's safe. There's an organisation called the NAPCG, which is the National Association of Professional Creative Groomers. And they've got a website and you can um, subscribe to them. And they've got a Facebook sort of group that helps. And they also do a qualification, which is where I did my qualification. Yeah. Um, And they're really, really helpful. And they they the science behind it is very in-depth and it does take a while and there isn't huge access to the information out here people are welcome to ask me and I'll try Mm -hmm. and give them as much information as possible and I'm going to be doing some webinars quite soon about it because I feel like it's important that the the correct information does get out there so I'm going to try and hopefully create something that will help you should definitely do that that's a really good idea because Otherwise, it's, you know, even for me, I, I'm a total novice when it comes to dying a dog. I've got no idea. Yeah, but the, the point is, Verity, is that you are a novice and you are you don't know anything about dying a dog. So would you then just go, oh, I'm going to do it? No. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I find hard to understand is that, oh, well, if, if you see someone else do it and you just think that's fine. I'm, I've got quite an inquisitive nature. <laughs> I I question everything. I question Mm -hmm. everything that goes on everything. So that's just normal for me. And I've realised now that that's not normal for everybody. Yeah. So some people will just go, well, it's fine for a human, so it's totally fine for a dog. And that is another reason why education is so important, because there are huge differences between a human's build or makeup and a dog's makeup so yeah or a cat's makeups and you know that so so you don't know if you don't know you don't do it that's what I say and mm. I got approached years ago by a bridal magazine to dye Molly who's my Bichon uh they wanted her to be pink and I'd done my due diligence and I learned about it and I did it properly and at the same time I groomed Emma Watson's dog um mm-hmm. and she did it the for actress her. Sorry, the actress. Yeah. So she did it for um, uh, breast cancer charities. And people obviously saw that she was walking a pink dog and it got a huge amount of attention. Mm. And the bridal magazine got frightened and changed Molly's colour back to white again. (laughs) (laughs) They photoshopped her. But the point was, is that I did it 
for that media company because I knew what was safe and what wasn't. And I'd mm. learned my stuff. I otherwise, um, when they, when Jonathan Ross and, uh, this morning and, GMTV phoned me to come on to defend myself about what I'd done with Emma Watson's dog, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So yeah. it was really, really important that if you enter into creative grooming... You can talk uh, the talk, not just walk the walk. Absolutely, because you <laughs> don't know when you're going to be held in front of the camera to mm. defend yourself. And equally, I suppose, in this day and age where we've got such a huge platform, be it on socials and things... And people have a large following, I think, then that's when it's important to... Well, exactly. You know, to when you... When you are when you achieve a certain level in our industry, and especially when it's creative, it gets a huge amount of attention. And because you are getting that to that level, with that success comes great responsibility. And you have to make sure that what you are teaching is the correct information because people will lap it up and yeah. then it's your responsibility. So the minute that someone does something not okay and then a dog gets hurt, you'll get the blame. Yeah. Because so-and-so said that it was okay. It's essential that it's done safely. 100%. Yeah. Now, you've had such a mega busy year, obviously, with Pooch Perfect. You juggle two busy grooming businesses and the spotlight alongside, I don't know, what else, whatever else you're doing, your webinars and everything. And your acting, my goodness. I know you're rehearsing at the moment, aren't you, for a new show? Yeah, yeah. So what does the rest of the year look like and 2022? What's it hold for you, Stuart, and what's on your goals list? Well, I know that I've been asked to do lots of MCing for, for some dog grooming shows, and it'll be so nice to go back into the room with all the groomers there, yes. patting on the mic and getting, you know, getting everyone excited and just acting the fool, which is basically what I love to do. <laughs> so I shall be doing that, hopefully. Um, I just think lots more seeing people and hopefully more shows as in acting shows, because I like to put the two of my careers together. They're both very important to me and they're both equally as, you know, successful. So I have to just sort of forge on with both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you master juggler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and of course, the groomer spotlight is a huge part of my heart. So that obviously needs to be honed too. I've got to pay attention to that at the same time. Yeah, sure. Now, I don't know what's sliding into your DM, Stuart. With your good looks and personality, I'm pretty sure that it's not like mine, <laughs> which is filled with dog questions. <laughs> so I just thought it'd really be great to try and answer a few on this podcast. So how do you feel about hashing out a couple of doggy dilemmas with me? I asked on Instagram. You guys delivered. So thank you so much. Go for it. So my first one, Amanda and Steve asked me, We have a seven-month-old Labrador puppy that's still really mouthy and nippy, and we can't seem to get him to calm down and stop. He's basically, he's especially bad, sorry, when he's excited, when he sees us and really gets carried away. We try telling him no, we try to distract him, but nothing seems to work. So do you have any tips for this bouncy lab? Actually, my poodle was like that for ages, and Mm. he did grow out of it, weirdly. And I think so. I think seven months they probably will grow out of it. But he, my poodle, loved my friend Peter the most. So whenever Peter came, Uncle Peter, whenever he came round, it <laughs> was a, a dog dad. <laughs> and in the end, I had to say to Pete, you know, when he does that, just turn around and fold your arms. Don't give the attention. Don't get all excited because it's really easy for everyone to go woohoo 
yay and that just builds it all up it's energy yeah yeah so you have to just really go against what uh what you want to do because obviously mm-hmm. you want to cuddle that seven month old uh labrador um but actually you have to go the other way and try and teach them by turning your back and folding your arms and sort of looking away and actually another really good tip when i had because i had spring of spaniels when i was growing up and one of them was uh a little bit aggressive at two and because i had two at one point and one was aggressive to the other one and it was about attention so when we walked in the door we had to say and touch say hello to and touch all the other people in the room or in the house before we spoke to them so that they knew actually they're not they're not the most important thing and it worked yeah i've, I've always been told that when you walk in your house to just try ignore your dogs when they're being crazy yeah literally ignore them then go say hi you know give them some love and affection when they've calmed down and they're not pogoing at your legs well what was happening with with wally and henry was that they were both excited to see us and wally was a, a full intact male mm. and henry was a full intact male and so they both jumped up then they both went bang, 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 <laughs> and had a huge fight a huge fight and you know, one of them was getting, like, Henry got really hurt at one point and we were like, yeah, like, it's like redirected aggression. It's like excited. Yeah. Energy yeah. that's just, yeah. and it worked with, you know, that we had to throw keys on the floor. If, if ever there was that look or that side eye that you get with a dog that's possibly thinking of going, if you can distract them with something, it really works. And so a big bunch of keys used to, we used to have big bunches of keys all over our house so that whenever it happened, we'd just knock it off and they'd go, Oh, keys. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> I have been told as well that because I've obviously had big dogs as well, you know, when they're jumping up because it's fine, like it's not so bad when they're four or five months old, but as they become seven, eight months old, you know, and especially if they're doing it out and about, they're gonna knock someone over. Oh like, yeah, there's that. Yeah, Definitely. my um my old Doberman, when she was a puppy, yeah, she was really bad for jumping up and at you know it's strangers sometimes as well you'd be mortified with it's so all. embarrassing oh my on the white chinos like oh, no. oh my god i'm so sorry i get really annoyed when i'm out and a dog runs over to me and jumps up at me and i've got like gray trackies on or something i'm and i'm covered in mud i, I get yeah. really annoyed by that yeah it's not <laughs> cool is it it's, no it's not i don't think so but it's, uh, but obviously when you're on the other end of the dog it's you know it's, it's, it's mortifying yeah. it's absolutely I, mean, I, mortifying. I would literally be stripping that person and taking the clothes away to wash and <laughs> so sorry. But like no please don't take my trousers off yeah they're, they're trying to stop, stop me it. and i'm like give them to me <laughs> give me your trousers i've got to dry clean them <laughs> <laughs> i need to make it up to you i'm so so sorry <laughs> please don't <laughs> um but yeah i mean i think that the turning around turning your back on them ignoring them definitely is uh, is my trick obviously just want to just put a caveat in here neither Stu nor myself are fully qualified dog behaviorists so this is just drawing on our experiences as dog owners so do with it what you will and my second one is from Alicia she's on Instagram and she asks I've been grooming for three years now and I feel like I'm really stuck in a rut I'm not enjoying my job as much and I feel like I've lost my mojo and my confidence any tips on how to help me sort my head out and try find the love of the my job again Oh, I've so been there. Have you been there, Verity? Oh, I think we go through peaks and troughs, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are times, I can remember, you know, there are times when, what's that noise? Did you hear that? Yeah, it's your house. It's not my house. That was weird, wasn't it? (laughs) There are times when when I, 
I've been to work and I've just been literally like, oh my God, I just don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it anymore. And it's, it is peaks and troughs. I find that a, if you work on your own, it must be very hard. I've got a lovely team and uh, we You can work, pick each other up, can you? Yeah, we work together and I try and make it a really good team effort. So if, for example, if I'm grooming a dog and I'm finding it really hard, then Cynthia or Rue or Nan, they'll take it over from me and, I, and we'll swap. Because it's not about it's not about just a Stuart groom. It's about a team. It's about working together. But if you're working on your own, I, I would say that the social media platforms are really, really helpful. I think um, there are some really uh, understanding grooms out there. And I think what the a good idea would be to do would be to find out, search those grooms out. For example, you, me, people like um, Denise Westbrook, Julie Lelou, I don't know. Julie Harris, they, mm. they'll, I'm sure, 100% help you, give you tips. You learn from them and then, and then it starts to become easier and exciting again because you might get to be able to try out a different angulation or change it up a bit and it just might change or help with the monotony of a shave-off after shave-off after shave-off of every single matted dog. And I think that's why we're, we're creative people. We need to be creative that's why people are drawn to pink clippers and, you know, <laughs> a brush. I, I do. I think that. I think that the more creative that we can be with our grooming styles and we can create this amazing angulated Bichon back leg or, you know, get the right muscle line in a schnauzer, it really makes us feel brilliant about ourselves. Yes, when it, it really does. Yes, it does. It does. And I think <laughs> if you're working on your own and you've got that sort of staleness i think you need to go back and find book some really good dogs in that are on your books and and enjoy grooming them. give yourself that extra half an hour really look at some seminars from people that are qualified and that know the, their stuff amy manser for the chanel do you know what i mean really yeah, i agree i think there's nothing i know when i was fairly new groom there was nothing more revitalizing than attending a seminar you yeah. know and nowadays you can do them from the comfort of your living room there's loads of webinars um going to a grooming competition going to a dog show I think they're all really rejuvenating because I think everything that you do you're going to take away something from that that you can apply to your working day because I don't I think our job is a massive energy sucker it's yeah. um yeah. it takes a lot out of us I think and another thing if you do work on your own is what I've absolutely loved is you know this upsurge in podcasts because when I'm drying a dog I've got my noise cancelling Obviously, we're talking all that. Uh, I've got my noise cancelling headphones in. And it's just so nice having that time when you're blasting and drying, when you can't talk to the dog or communicate, just to pop on a podcast. It's just, it's, it feels like you've got a friend. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. But I think that with that, again, comes uh, the, you have to be quite careful. You have to find your webinar or your teaching video on YouTube, whatever it is carefully because there's an awful lot out there that aren't mm -hmm. given the right information mm -hmm. so again you need to check uh where it's coming from who's delivering it and whether or and not what's the education right. behind it maybe yeah yeah because some you know it's it's all very well to say i'm going to do a, a schnauzer seminar tomorrow but am i a schnauzer expert do i actually know do, i think it's important to yeah research your groomer and that's what the groomer spotlights for yeah absolutely yeah great tips Springer Spaniels and Cocker Spaniels used to be the same breed. 
So a litter of puppies would be separated by size. So the smaller dogs were designated as cocker spaniels. These were used for hunting a small bird called a woodcock. And the larger dog were designated as Springer Spaniels, bred to flush out and spring game. It wasn't until the turn of the 20th century that Springers and Cockers were designated as separate breeds. There really are two distinct varieties of Springer Spaniel today. So we have the working type, which tends to be a little bit smaller, less profuse of the coat. And then the show type, which is typically a bit larger and a much thicker, longer, flashier coat. But Stuart, what variety did you own growing up? And were they as bouncy as Tigger um, on <laughs> all the time, as their name might suggest to you? <laughs> so I had um, Wally, which was my first Springer Spaniel, and he was a show type. And they've got a much broader sort of head and a bigger <laughs> and a bigger face. He's much, they're much, much stronger. Um, and he was a big dog. You know, he was a proper masculine dog and he knew his own mind he was very very confident very strong and we had no idea as pet owners how to handle him and you know I look back on my knowledge with my knowledge now and his life and I feel terrible about it because we didn't do what was best he was a, it sounds like a really driven dog who needed yeah a he, job he needed a job he needed uh, a handler that knew exactly how to handle him yeah and then I am a huge pet lover as you know and then mm-hmm. someone sent me a message saying that there's this spring of spaniel that's desperate for a home and they knew that I had one so we got Henry and he was a show uh, he was a working type very very different character really absolutely loved my, mm-hmm. me loved my mum really submissive really a lovely gentle kind caring dog no need it was like a lap dog he was lovely uh but because Wally was this dominant dog yeah and Henry was this submissive dog they didn't get on and so it it ended up with a really difficult um a difficult relationship between the two of them which is what I've already explained they did live together and it was fine but it you know when I look back to how Wally was behaving he didn't walk enough he didn't the exercise you know is so important to give dogs like that or all dogs exercise so that they can get rid of all this energy that they've got. I mean, if I don't walk Ralph, who's my standard poodle, for a good two hours a day, then he's he's an, an, a terrorist to my other dogs. <laughs> he just chases <laughs> them around and bites their legs. It's yeah, terrible. I mean, it's just, I think it's just, especially with a, a dog like a standard poodle and a Springer Spaniel, they're really intelligent breeds. They need that mental stimulation. They need to go out. They need to be sniffing, you know, seeing the sights and sounds. And also it's mixing up the walks, not just walking in the same places, just the, for the variety of the yeah. dog, just for Sniffing. mental stimulation they can, again. Yeah, they can sniff different smells. They mm-hmm. can find out who's around. It's really such a a massive thing for them. And that's why, you know, it, it, with the Springer Spaniel, they are crazy. They are, you know, he'll do his five, funny five minutes and charge around the living room. But actually they still need to work because they are working dogs. So you yeah. need to give them a purpose. You need to give them reason to have this energy. And that's something that we failed at as we were younger. But now that I know. I yeah. 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 They, are, they can make such lovely, lovely pets, though, can't they? It's yeah, just they, about picking, just making sure they're with the right family. It's a bit. There's a, there's a chap who lives near me, really quite elderly chap. He's got a border collie. Uh, and yeah. and you can see this is such a working stock border collie because it walks everywhere in the crouch position. It's all the cars, it's just going for all the cars. And you know when you just think, 
that dog is in the wrong home with the you know with the that chap would be so much more suited with a different you know breed or character of, of dog we and it's, it, we see it every day when we in the salons don't we we if someone hasn't walked their german shepherd or whatever it'll start behaving badly in the salon it needs to have exercise so they're stimulated so they're ready to have whatever we need to do to them done <laughs> so yeah. you know if they've got this pent-up energy it can cause havoc so you have to make sure that you know if you've got those sort of breeds you've got to make sure that there's time in your life mm. to walk those dogs so that they are satisfied mentally. twice a day they're twice a day walk dogs aren't they yeah yeah, yeah. 100%. And if you haven't got time, consider a Yorkshire Terrier, who well, still yeah, needs walking got, every day, but, you know, nowhere near as much. But they don't mm. need as much. But actually, my little ones, they we all go for an hour's walk in the morning, but only me and Ralph will go for an hour's walk in the afternoon. So, yeah. 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 Well, I have miniature poodles, obviously, and I've had Doberman, really high-energy dog as well. And... Um, yeah, my miniature poodles, I would say, wouldn't need quite as much, but they're still extremely energetic dogs, very intelligent. They need a lot of stimulation. And uh, and if I don't, you know, if I've been particularly busy that day and I've not been able to give them, you know, the good two, two walks a day, then, um, then yeah, they become destructive. They start chewing, nibbling holes in their beds and, you know, just Absolutely. start getting up to no good. Yeah. So, yeah. My, worst, so my worst comment for people that come into the salon is, don't make my poodle too poodly. And I'm like, you know it really drives me crazy it's a poodle first of all but my poodle's poodly and it still goes in the sea it still runs in the mud it still does everything you know that my job is a groomer so i can clean him if you've got a hair bearing dog so that's a dog that grows Mm. and grows his hair grows and grows and grows like ours then you're just gonna have to if you want it to be long you just have to book in and get really friendly with your local professional groomer that's our job or shave it short so a poodle haircut, people might think it's froofy, but it's so practical. Those short faces, those short feet. And yeah. yours is in a German trim, right? Yeah. Well, I similar. mean, that, yeah, that's so practical. You know, you've got those short ears so the air can really flow around those ears, the short tail. I yeah. just think, you know, they're really flashy, but and it's practical masculine. haircut. It, yeah, very really masculine. Big, yeah. Ralph's a really big standard poodle and he suits the short ears because if he if he if it's too big it does look a bit too feminine and he hasn't got that personality he's a real masculine dog mm-hmm. so his short ears and his you know the base of his tail being quite short and it suits his personality yeah i absolutely love that trimming style it's like one of my favorites so celebrity springer spaniel owners include tilda swinton president bush prince harry caesar milan and princess grace kelly so oh. and, and Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> back in the day yeah. yeah so now we're near the end of episode eight we're going to round things off with a quick fire round so we're going to ask everybody these questions Stuart. so i want quick honest answers no bull are you ready yeah so dog food of choice raw nature's menu country hunter is what mine on, on, on at the moment favorite place to walk the beach of course uh number of dogs under your roof or Oh, if you were a dog, what breed would you be? That's really a poodle. Yeah, it's the number one answer. Yeah, I think it's going to be a poodle. I just, I'm obsessed with Ralph, so it's at the moment it's a poodle. <laughs> or a Bichon, maybe a Bichon, a poodle. Maybe a, a Pouchon. Maybe a Pouchon. <laughs> something, <laughs> something poodly and shonny. <laughs> <laughs> Fave holiday destination. Uh... 
Oh God, I've got a little flat in Spain, so mm-hmm. I go there an awful lot. But I think Singapore. Oh wow! I worked in Singapore for a while. I worked at Raffles at the Raffles Hotel. Fabulous. Amazing. It's I beautiful. bet. Wow. And apparently, it's really clean. Is it oh, so it's ridiculous? Really yeah. ridiculously clean. You're not allowed to chew gum. And I was stuff. just about to say that. Isn't chewing gum banned in Singapore? Yeah, unless you go to the Raffles Hotel, though. In the Raffles, there's a there's a bar that's called the Peanut Bar or something, and they have, uh, you know, monkey nuts that you break. Yeah, that you break all, open. But you can have, they're all over the deck, the sort of countertop of the bar, and you just break them open, eat the nuts, and throw the shells on the floor, so the floor is just covered in old monkey nut shells. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh, how quirky. I know, it's really cool. Oh, that sounds beautiful. I'd love to go to Singapore. I think when my kids are a bit older, I'm, I'm, I'm heading east. I'll come with you. <laughs> Fab. What's your worst nightmare dog breed to own? Uh, a minute schnauzer. Mm-hmm. Like the noise? The yipping? No, the, the, <laughs> the yipping. Oh, mate, it's so shrill. It goes, it's so high. It's, it's high like, pitch. you know when you go to the dentist and they drill and there's that noise? It has the same effect on me. One of those? <laughs> I just can't, <laughs> literally. I don't know. I love them. I love minute schnauzer. I could never own one. Their bark is absurd. Yeah, I, I, I get that. The beautiful dogs, I love them, but yeah, they're known for their year. <laughs> so that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me and Stuart. We'd be so delighted if you gave us both a follow on Instagram. I can be found at Verity Hardcastle, and Stuart is, <clears throat> clear my throat, at the Groomer's Spotlight, at Tales of St. Leonard's, or at Broom Dog City are his, his Instagram handles, therefore his different businesses. And Stu also has two fantastic podcasts to check out. We have Stu's Inspirations, because it's dog related, so don't forget the poor, and Mutt's Monthly. But if you go onto Stuart's own website, which is stuartsimons.com, you can find everything on there. Now, don't forget, I've got a new Poodle webinar dropping on the 20th of June. So get in touch if you want to be involved. That'd be amazing. And thank you to everybody for listening. Don't forget to rate, share and subscribe to Pod on the Dog. Much love.